Welcome to A Photographer's Life. The channel that takes you behind the curtain into the world of professional architectural photography. Join us now for an episode with some of America's premier architectural photographers. Today's broadcast comes from a recent Zoom meeting of the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. This discussion is led by AIAP Director Alan Blakely. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. Now, on with the show. Welcome everyone to uh, our January 2024 meeting. And today we're talking about what I wish I'd known when I started my photography business. And this was something that came up a couple times last year as a recommendation for a topic. And I, uh, since I announced the topic, I've had quite a bit of input. So I'm I'm anxious to uh, hear from those who are here. And uh, thankfully, all those who are on the call so far are veteran photographers. So um, this should be a, a, a wealth of experience and, and hopefully some good insights, because I know that the business has changed so much in the last 20 years that there's not the kind of mentorship or, um, you know, assisting or master to, <laughs> to novice kind of relationships that there used to be in the industry. And um, unfortunately, YouTube is not really filling that gap. Uh, I really wish right off the bat that I would have known about licensing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I started off just like uh, I suppose a lot of the people in this group have started off by selling my time and uh, time alone. And, and uh, you know, financially, after about the first two or three years into it, I had hit and misses. I had some cases where I, I, I made an adequate amount of income and other cases where I didn't. And I tell you, when I learned to use licensing and stop selling my time necessarily as as the only source of income, it it was just amazing. Um, I, the, the the turnaround it 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 really helped me a lot. And and in that case, I really have to credit ASMP for for helping me out. If I hadn't had that, I probably would not have been able to to survive in photography. Yeah, I, I did not start out thinking licensing was a big deal, with the exception of my clients who were advertising agencies. And that was a huge mistake. And I, I could have had significant income differences, you know, for a lot of years if I if I'd paid more attention to that. But it was kind of a balancing act between doing that and also, and still is, honestly, about doing, you know, licensing um requirements and uh, convincing people that they should hire me as a photographer because my competition doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, enforce any licensing or copyright or things like that. So, you know, like five, five, 10 years ago, I used to get uh, questions all the time when I would uh, submit a quote or a bid, um, you know, you're, your photography and lighting production time spent, I understand. Your editing, I understand. What is this usage fee? You know, what explain that to me. I don't get that anymore. Um, and it seems to me like most of the marketing departments, which, you know, are marketing departments and they're familiar with it. It's not like it's their, you know, their, uh, 
you know, business development team that's having them go work, uh, th they expect it. They, they don't flinch at it. They, they might want to modify language from time to time, depending on their legal department, but it, I, I don't, no one ever, I don't get anyone asking me, um, you know, what does this mean? And we've got bids from other photographers where they don't have that. It just seems to be the norm. No, I was lucky in that when I turned pro, I also was about the same time I discovered ASMP. And they you just get that beaten into you. I mean, in the nicest possible way. There are no bruise marks. And so that was not a problem for me, understanding licensing. Translating it to some clients was a bit of a problem. But I was also lucky in that I was involved in the writing of a brochure with the AIA. Uh, because uh, the architects and, and photographers were always arguing about usage. And so the, the two lawyers, the various lawyers got together and then passed it on to uh, people to just put it in ordinary language that people were not lawyers could understand. And I helped write one of those. So I was really lucky about that. That was a, a real break. I didn't realize how lucky I was until later when I see still you know, I've mentioned this before. I'm on Facebook. It's a great resource for seeing what pain points there are for people that uh, uh, are, are still learning. Some of them are well along in their careers and they're still learning. And you still see people who, no, I didn't really have a written contract. Uh, no, I didn't specify a number of photos that you're going to get. All these kinds of things that I think are kind of second nature for the rest of us. When I started out, uh, I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to explain licensing to the brides that I was taking wedding photos for. So that was out. But um, in a, in a, in, I think in major markets, it's probably more familiar and more comfortable uh, to talk about because there is more familiarity. So in Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and then as the markets get smaller, because I'm just North of, of Los Angeles and Ventura, the education that you have to do to explain that to your clients. The smaller the client, the more education, the larger the client, the more familiarity. That then sort of transferred over as I as I changed my advertising or my wedding studio to an advertising studio for 15 years and then stopped doing marketing and advertising, which was much more familiar with that model uh, and into architecture. Um, and at least in architecture, there is a, a precedent in, with architects where they're copyrights on their blueprints if you want to uh you know use the old old school language you can explain that as sort of a starting point it's like well like you know the person that you design the house for doesn't get to keep designing that house without paying you and so there's a little bit of understanding there if you're dealing with architects if you're dealing with marketing departments i think it, like previously said you have that familiarity the lawsuits that have been out there for various reasons have been publicized, um, probably on both ends for people. I mean, I read the, the comments on Petapixel. It's like, oh my gosh, what, I, I don't understand this copyright thing. And then you have, you know, architectural photographers um, in other countries like South Africa where copyright doesn't exist at all. And they're just baffled by the idea in a way. So it's... Um, to me, just like Barry was saying, ASMP was was a key. I started my my business transition to um, commercial, let's say, 
uh, in a small market, you're doing a little bit of everything. And I didn't know anything. So ASMP was where I went and, and they just beat it into you. And at some point I decided, all right, there seems to be a, a law written or unwritten that you will never, ever, ever do a work for hire job. And I just decided to draw a line and actually push back on some really large companies who would send me a, a work for hire contract, Getty, the Getty Research Institute and Kinko's when Kinko's headquarters was here and, and had a discussion with them. It's like, you don't need to own this. You're not going to sell it again. You're not in the stock photography business, but you never want to come back to me and have to ask my permission to use it somewhere else. And between you not really needing to own it, but you having a desire for a really wide usage or a, a expansive license, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I actually have downloaded Alan's uh, language now and because it was just so succinct and plugged it into my contract. Um, it's, you know, it's like, we can find, we can find a compromise here so that I don't have to sign your work for hire contract, which I absolutely won't. Um, but you have to be willing to say no. And that, if you're a struggling new photographer, just the fact that they have you over the barrel and they say, well, if you don't want to sign this, somebody else will, you cave. And and if you can't say no, you can't negotiate. One of the things for me was being able to um, not take job. When I started out, probably like everybody, you know, I, I take a job from anybody. And then I learned to interview my clients. And and when you start qualifying your clients, you walk away from a lot of work, but you you sleep at night and you're a lot happier because some people they, they just use you, and and you know they they want rights for everything and oh I'll give you a photo credit you know big fat hairy deal, um, <laughs> you know how excited we are when we first get published right everybody's happy about that, um, then you realize you should get paid for it you know I, I remember I had a phone call from uh, Southwest Airlines they called me they wanted to use a photograph we had shot of some some musicians, and uh, it was a a Beatles cover band and I said okay yeah go ahead and use it. We'll give you a photo credit. And then <laughs> this is this is years ago. And then I get a check in the mail from Southwest. And I'm like, and it was for my, you know, they they presumed they were licensing it for me. I had no idea. And so you you, you learn that way. I'm like, oh, this is this, it was nice to get a check from a magazine. Um but but when you start qualifying your your clients, um, I, I think that's when our business grew. That's when our our, our pay leveled out real nice. And and our client base, you know, it, it wasn't stressful. I talked to some, especially new photographers, they'll shoot anything and, and they give you the pictures. I, I I know a guy that, you know, he'll go on a job, he'll he'll shoot for peanuts, and right before he leaves, he gives them the drive out of his camera. That's his present. That's you know, so it, it, there's there's so many. I, I I wish we could educate all the young photographers how to run their business. Um, it would help us certainly because a, a lot of them, you know, you can, you have to compete with them and you can't. And to Norman's point, uh, firing your clients is also really, really lovely on the back end later. I, I've said this before, but I've never had a bad client that became a good client. So yes, cut them loose. <laughs> you need to have t-shirts made up. That's good. <laughs> uh, but yet, you know, you hesitate if, if you're first starting out, um, 
I don't get asked for a lot of advice from people anymore. Uh, I used to be that I would get calls and, and I, I think that most people just rely on their, you know, YouTube for any and all information about whatever industry. It's kind of surprising. Um, because uh, they don't go to people that are actually experienced professionals in the field anymore, unless they're on YouTube. And there's very few of those that are experienced professionals. So, well, I think that's part of it is the is how easy it is to get information online, not just on YouTube, but the blogs and podcasts, so forth. Learning, I think it's a learning process for emerging photographers to figure out who's who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. So it's another version of what we did before, but there's still no substitute for talking to a colleague, whether it's a more experienced or older colleague or just hanging around. I mean, I still have people I, I call when I have questions, you know, about lighting, about pricing, all kinds of things. But I, maybe that's just a, a part of the professional being a professional that doesn't exist in the same way. I mean, I also hear a lot of, uh, and I'm sure you've all heard this too, complaints from younger photographers saying, well, I don't contact photographers because they always yell at me. You're not charging enough. You're ruining the profession. And, uh, or, or I'm not going to tell you what I charge. I don't want, you're my competition. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to go there. Um, and I hear that too. So I don't know if that's a change or not, but, but I think those are all factors. Alan, can I, Alan, can I ask over the past year, have you uh, noticed any kind of an increase in, in young people, um, the, the people entering the marketplace, so to speak, to do photography and joining AIAP? Has that increased? It's, it's not, in, yeah, it's not in that younger segment at all. Um, generally, the people that are joining and who have continuing memberships have been in the business 20 plus years um that's the majority of our membership is those who have who are veteran photographers with with 20 or more years of experience um you know that's that's a really good question because i just uh, and i had this conversation with um another photographer just recently i kind of despair about the future of this industry <laughs> because i don't see people coming in who really have a desire to do excellent work. They want to do work that's that's good enough to get paid for, but there's not that, um, you know, I want to I want to be as good as Ezra Stoller or, you know, that kind of you, you attitude. Be talking about the photographer that shoots the airy shot. <laughs> <laughs> they overexpose everything. You can't see uh, out the window. Yeah, yeah, I just, the the standard for what's acceptable has just plummeted uh, you know over the last 20 years and um quite honestly the the people that are uh, that make up the majority of this industry right now who are in that younger segment are you know and i don't want to say this to to disparage but the, the fact of the matter is they're they have less technical knowledge they have virtually no understanding of the history of of architectural photography or you know style or or architecture in general for that matter you can't you can't have an architect talk intelligently with them about a different architectural elements because they don't understand it and it's um it, it's kind of 
you know, it's just, it's a level above hobby, <laughs> but it's not, it, it's not a profession to them. And, you know, it's really kind of discouraging. Um, I know that from the manufacturer's standpoint, and, and this is a conversation I had just last week with the manufacturer is that there's not a lot of incentive uh, to bring out high-end equipment because it's such a tiny market and it's shrinking. And so um, the market is the advanced amateur. That's where the money seems to be. So I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is, Phil. I don't have a good answer for you on that. And and I, you know, we don't get a lot of interest, quite honestly, um, in these discussions that we put out there for everybody. Um, most people, it's too much information. <laughs> I'm an I'm a net I'm a network guy and and when I have I have a lot of younger you know Wayne and I are in the same demographic but when we have a lot of younger architectural photographers and and sometimes I'll get a call how did you do this how, why do your pictures look like that I, and I'll tell them you know come into the studio sit next to me I'll show you how I do it you know big I I mean I'm not worried about I'm not worried about losing work there's plenty of work for everybody. Um, and, and it's the same thing. Like if, if someone's trying to do portraits or headshots, they don't understand lighting ratios. I, I remember a kid set up, a, you know, he's trying to do headshots. He's shooting a million pictures, looking at the back of his camera. I said, do you own a light meter? He didn't even know what a light meter was, you know? I, so I showed him how to use a light meter. I mean, I, I think it's so important to educate and, you know, and like I said, I'm a, I'm a network junkie. I, you know, there's, there's some times when we're so busy that I'll, I'll call, I'll call somebody. And, you know, can you take this job? Can you do that? I don't, you know, if they're a good photographer and you're satisfying a client, that's good. Um, and, and people ask, what do you charge? I, that's not, you know, I'm not secretive about that or, or, or what do you make? And think, I, I think we, I think that educating and helping people realize that, you know, it's, it's not a cutthroat business. It, it shouldn't be, um, you know, we, we should be able to, to, to talk and glean ideas from each other and you know like barry said i'll call somebody up for this and that i i wish there was more of that because you know b back in the film days remember we used to hang out at the we'd go to you know gamma or some place where you're developing a film all the photographers would hang out waiting for their e6 to be processed you know exchange ideas and talk i miss that because i learned a lot from a lot of people and i want to pay that back and and you know whenever i get the opportunity i try the the more advanced post gets, the easier it is to go into a project and say, instead of saying, I'm going to gather a bunch of great art and then sharpen it and clean it up and post, I'm going to grab a bunch of data and create art and post, right? Because, uh, I mean, with the masking capabilities now that we're, we can do in Lightroom, I mean, it's just so much easier uh, to cheat. And, and instead of filling in your, you know, your dynamic range with actual lighting, or like you said, using light meters to, to really figure out what your lighting is. I, I mean, all you have to do is bracket, grab a bunch of stuff, get in there, get out, take your uh, steel toes off and get back to your regular world and then go to back to your studio where it's nice and quiet and create something from that. Yeah, that's, ex that's exactly what I don't do. <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot it right um, I, I won't just, yeah, I, I'd rather meter it out and shoot it correctly than. Yeah, yeah. Shoot it right in camera and then go back and do what you can and use technology to make your job easier and quicker in the studio. There's a, a tier of, of clients right now and it's it's growing 
that require the excellent work. I, I, I've always thought that doing excellent work was the best competitive advantage, you know, con- continually trying to improve your work. And I, and I found um, it's not the same clients that I used to have, but there are clients out there who will pay for great work. And um, I increased, you know, two years ago, I bumped my rates 50%. And um, nobody blinked. Uh, some people, well, that's not nobody, but some people blinked. But those that, that I wanted to work for did not. And, um, and I, I see that continuing. But there is, there are these lower tiers of clients that, you know, their marketing budgets were gutted. And they are hiring people that are just fresh out of college who really don't have any experience. There are no, there's no marketing directors in, um, in the industry anymore who are over 50 years old, (laughs) rare. And so you don't have that experience and understanding and, uh, expectation of excellence that you used to have. So it's, it's a different world. I, you know, it's like, I was, I'm, I was trying to figure out how to, how to articulate the idea of, um, all right, if this is going to be useful for a 20-year-old to actually listen to this Zoom meeting later on, instead of a bunch of old guys talk about, you know, how it's all going to, to hell in a handbasket. Um, you know, it's hard to shoot that twilight at sunset if you have to have a bartending gig because they happen at the same time, right? So it's, it's, um, that's a little tricky, but, but I, I think that, that, one of the things I was trying to articulate was, is like, uh, I used the term production value. It's like, if you're bringing a high production value to it, then you don't have much competition because the people who are shooting it on their iPhone equivalent or their, you know, their creaky camera and fixing, maybe fixing the parallel lines later on in post uh, versus doing a tilt shift. I have different clients who are like, come take this apartment building. We need a bunch of photographs and I'll walk around it with a zoom lens and take a, you know, take a bunch of photographs. Then I have clients who are, who are like, no, we want, we want real high production value stuff. And I think the high production value stuff is going to continue to be uh, something that people pay for. Uh, and as a 20 year old, we're going to get to very quickly here at the point where you can walk through just like those apps on your phone that will do a, um, a site plan for real estate photography. You can walk through a, a house with your phone, take a quick video, send it into AI, and it will create all the photographs in AI of that house. And um, you don't need the real estate agents or the architects won't need us anymore unless we bring a lot to the table, which is that high production value, you know, that we're coming in, we're bringing them something that's done in camera that doesn't require post or requires very little post or only gets, it goes from good to amazing in post, which is, you know, that's, that's the talent of a, of an architectural photographer. So if you're a 20 year old and you're listening to this, um, as the podcast, and I think it's like those skills are worth learning. Um, and at the same time, yeah, I, I don't have a drone license, so I don't know that a 20-year-old uh, in the business can't not have a tr- drone license anywhere anymore because my clients are asking me to have one. Um, and I'm just at the point where I can say, no, I work with other people, pilots and photographers who do that portion of it uh, and farm that out. And same thing with video. I have clients that 
that want to do video and I don't do it. So coming in, there is a, there is a bunch of information that you're going to have to probably be adept with. I don't think you can just be a, I only shoot skyscrapers on still, you know, uh, cameras with shift lenses and I don't do anything else. I mean, I think that's, that's probably business suicide if you're, you know, 23 and want to get into the industry. So there's a lot to learn. Uh, the people who are on YouTube teaching it um, have a lot of time to do YouTube. I don't have any time to do YouTube. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have a YouTube studio. Um, so they're not getting experienced photographers. That's the experienced architectural photographer out shooting architecture. So if you have a ton of time to do a YouTube video series, um, that's because you don't have clients. I wrote a book and I was like, God, I always was really impressed with people who wrote books. And it's like, oh, the reason... Uh, people write books is because they don't have any work. There's no money in a book. I wrote it. I wrote a book because I had a slow year. I'm like, all right, well, I got this other project. I'll, you know, I couldn't get to it when I was busy. And you do, you have slow years and, and fat years. And, and that's something to, to learn as a young photographer. You know, the first five years, I didn't have any clients. And all of a sudden people started knocking on the door and I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. It's like, I haven't sent you anything. This was back in the direct mail days. I haven't sent you anything in the mail for, for years. And they're like, oh, no, we've just been paying attention. We just didn't want to start up with a new photographer and then have them quit like everybody. So we've, we were in the business long term. We've waited until you were around. You know, it's, it, it's a, lot of, a lot of the reason we're all old is because we've built this, you know, a long time, right? I mean, that's where the, that's, that's the thing. You can't come into it and expect to be hit the ground running at two years in. Well, I, I think also just to address the 20-year-old uh, factor, and let's, I'm going to include the 25 and 30-year-old factor too, is that uh, one of the things that I hear from younger people who shoot real estate, because that's an entry point, for architectural photography, certainly was for me to some degree. Um, I, but I have an unusual, I mean, I was already in the construction and design when I started. So, um, but uh, it's not about the equipment anymore. I think, yes, you can walk through a house with an iPhone and do video and you can get really good enough uh, work for real estate, but not for architecture. Uh, and not even for, let's say, for instance, the kind of uh, uh, occasionally I get jobs from uh, like a, a showroom. I did a, a Omega showroom that they they just for internal purposes, they needed a proper architectural photographer because they spent half a million dollars on a showroom in a mall. Um, and you can't do that in a real estate fashion. So I, I think part of there's like two parts of what it takes to get past real estate or, or that level, which is uh, one, uh, the aesthetics, right? It's not, you're not gonna be in the corner of a room with a wide angle lens. You're gonna spend more than an hour on site. So what does that mean? And for a lot of people, that's really a, a question. They don't know what it means to take that much more time and they can't imagine it because the money that you get for real estate is not gonna support you spending dawn to dusk at a, at a house. Uh, and you're certainly not going to be doing commercial work anyway, period, uh, like that. Um, it's also much easier to do drone work. Um, I did get my drone license. And then I learned to fly a drone because I didn't know how to fly one first. 
And I was astonished at how easy it was to get high quality uh, footage, you know, out of uh, basically a consumer drone. It was a Mini Pro 3. So, you know, like not of what a, a lot of professionals would use, but I was I was floored by the quality of work. And that is not just work up at 300 feet, but I, I walked it through a space, an outdoor space, mind you. I wasn't... I have a farmer friend and I said, can I come practice? Because there's nothing I can I can hit that's going to be uh, problematic. But I could walk it like a dog in front of me. So the technology has made it easier to do things. But if you don't know the taste, the aesthetics that a client, an architecture client or interior designer or landscape architect is going to require, it doesn't really matter. And I think that's actually easier and harder to teach. Um, it's harder to teach because you really have to sit down if you're going to teach it uh, or you're going to learn it yourself. You just have to spend an extended period of time looking at Ezra Stoller work, um, looking at all of our brilliant work on our websites. But I mean, this is what I tell people to do. It's free. Go look at that work and see how it's different than um, real estate. And then the other part of it is, is just learning how to use better equipment. But I mean, I've shot stuff with, you know, my old Canon 20D that I had to use on an emergency basis that I, I made work. It was not easy, but I had, was what I, anyway, we all have disaster stories. I was shooting with my regular camera and my mirror fell out from my 5D. And, and that was my backup, which I never thought I'd use. And I did, and it was okay, but whew. so but the aesthetics are more important than the equipment now because the equipment is so you can spend $1,500 on a mirrorless point and shoot with a wide angle lens and get really remarkably good photos. You know, it's going to take more time and post, but the quality will be, you know, pretty amazing. Every new, every newcomer Barry needs to go out before they're allowed to walk around with a tripod and a tilt shift. They need to carry around a four by five and pull Polaroids for a day. I, I got a I got a section on my website how to choose an architectural photographer, and every time I get a phone call from somebody, uh, a client that needs to be educated, I say go to that section and read it, and I don't care if you hire me, but now you'll know how to hire an architectural photographer, um, and it's it, <laughs> I like your idea of walking around a four by five camera with a Polaroid back, um, that would certainly uh, <laughs> should build some character. Well, I'll tell you what, I got to push back on that because I came into this business just as digital was okay. I never learned to shoot a technical camera. The first person I ever saw shoot decent architecture when I was a contractor building high-end kitchens was a wonderful photographer in LA, Marvin Rand. I don't know if, yeah, he was the real deal. And he was the he was the generation just after uh, Stoller and um, Shulman. Yeah. And he was a wonderful guy. And he was, he had a four by five. He was shooting a display in a high-end showroom for a cabinet. I was there to pick up some parts and go out and finish an, an install. And I said, how long are your exposures? And he said, 32 seconds. And I, it just, it just blew my mind. And he had a guy, you know, he'd shoot five seconds. He'd send up his assistant to gel some lights or pull some gels off. And then he'd shoot another five seconds. And I went, oh my God. So I'm really, I saw other people do that kind of work. I know what it takes. And, but I'm going to go back to my original statement, which is it's about your taste and understanding what the market desires, not about the equipment. 
So yes, it's it's a nice idea that people should shoot with a four by five, but that is never going to happen. And for people that are coming up after me, who are younger people, because I'm an old guy uh, who started late, uh, you know, they're not going to go out with a four by five unless they're trying to shoot fine art. Well, I think what you we might have hit we might have hit on an opportunity here if we can get a firmware update for our cameras that will flip the image upside down on the on the render and make it black and white and it'll take two minutes to come up just like a 54 polaroid and we can get a one of those 12 pound shot bags to hang on the bottom of our tripod we might have something it's the training program for years um i've realized i believe that our society has been trained to accept lower quality um and the aesthetics of what we bring to the table are not important. Uh, several of you have used the term, uh, it's good enough. And, you know, when we're dealing with marketing people uh, who are always under the age of 50 and they're up against uh, their annual budgets, et cetera, they're not going to choose us because they don't, they, our visual literacy as a society has been dumbed down for the last 20 year, years uh, since YouTube, uh, since uh, MTV came out with bombarding us with uh, seven images, 10 images per second. And I just think that we're, we're in a point where it is just good enough. And what I share with people is that, you know, as the end user or the person assigning the work or uh, contracting with you that believes that what you're bringing to the table is better than just good enough, I really believe that if that person and their audience cannot see the difference between what you're bringing to the table and your aesthetics and your technical capabilities and your lighting, if they can't see the difference between that and what that 20 year old is creating, you know, seven images in a 30 minute walkthrough, then it doesn't matter. I think you make a, a perfectly so, valid point, Brian. I really do. Yeah, if they can't see the difference, don't fight it. I mean, and, and education is not going to do anything for these people. Uh, and, and you know, I, I agree. You know, you're going to have the people that trust you know that you're going to bring something better than that other dime a dozen. If they can't see the difference, why fight it? The, the people that I see that are willing to pay my rate and are happy about it, uh, are are not they don't hire me for everything um they hire me for the things that matter and uh, like brian said you know that the, the, there's a difference in what what the stuff looks like and um and, and you know and greg too in what i charge but um the people that hire me in my local market they hire me for things that they're going to submit for uh, awards uh, i don't get their their everyday stuff i don't get the day-to-day 
and I call it just construction documentation or architecture documentation. You know, I don't want that anyway. Um, but what they do hire me for, and this is the differentiation and, and, you know, back to talking, you know, like Stephen and Barry said about what a 20 year old, we hope they might hear in this is it's not about the gear. It's not about the money. It, it's, it's, it's about what it looks like. You know, it's, it's the image itself. And, and the fact that your image looks different than the guy that's just, you know, in his twenties. And the difference in that is, is an aesthetic, you know, it's an aesthetic experience and it's kind of hard to quantify, but there's value in that expertise. And um, you're not going to get every client and you're not going to be able to charge your full tilt to everybody that calls you up. But to those that do understand and see that expertise, um, I, I think that that's, you know, that's what the the future of the market is. And I, I hopefully there's there's a group in their 20s and 30s that are seeing a difference and will, you know, will, will I, I hate to use the word respect that, but I had a lot of respect for uh, people that mentored me early on. And um, it wasn't envy and it wasn't anything like that, but I, I just wanted to, I wanted to be where they were as far as what they saw and how they did it. And, you know, a lot of it is when I, when I've taught workshops in the past, people just are, kind of baffled about you know they'll ask me questions like well how do you know where to put your camera and how do you know what lens to put on <laughs> and those are not quantifiable answers so you know i can't say well you got to stand here and and this is the lens to use it's it's that trained eye and that expertise and you know i've got clients that i see once a year when they have an award submission and i'll go shoot those projects and the rest of the year they use somebody else in town yeah, it's it's the skill set, Alan. That's that's the difference, and and I I agree with that completely. You can't, it, you know, some people, you know, I, I get young guys that come into this studio over here. What kind of camera do you use? It doesn't matter what kind of camera I use. You know, I I can shoot with an iPhone and get a good result. It, it you know, it, certainly the tool helps, but but it's composition skills, being able to you know to to know your equipment, know know lighting ratios, know how to light something. See, I'm curious to ask the group uh, as a younger photographer. I'm not quite an old fart yet. I'm a middle middle aged fart. And uh, one thing I certainly did not know about when I first started was all about cost sharing and invoice sharing. And I'm curious to know, basically, how many jobs have broken down because you were too complicated in your invoicing. Sometimes it's not about what looks good or with process. Sometimes it's about when a client looks about invoice sharing and looks to try to save money with cost sharing, sometimes I, I'm perceived as more expensive because I'm trying to assign value to the copyright. And for me, like I when I describe to the clients the value of an image, I describe the value of an image as based on the number of photos, the 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 and partly like how many clients, like how many photos, how many clients, and then the outright cost of the thing. And sometimes I get beaten out by photographers who don't address licensing at all. Yeah, about being brought up through ASMP, I just can't let it go because I still view part of the value of imagery as who's using it and in what context. I would challenge any of these guys, any of these guys who are not addressing usage rights or copyrights at all to see if they're still in business a year from now. 
and 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 then move on with your business because they're not going to be. You can't earn a living if you're giving away your art. Yeah, another thing that you might want to cons consider is like the licensing agreement we use. I sat down with my intellectual property counsel years ago, and and we got it down to a, a paragraph. You know, some people have license agreements. I mean, they're three four pages long. It scares someone to death. Uh, but ours is very succinct. It covers my butt really well. It's never failed me in, in far to, you know, if I've ever had to litigate. Um, I'm happy to send anybody a copy if they want it, you know, change it, do anything you want. I'm using Alan's. I, I After a while, I, I took Alan's name out of it. That helped. Um, <laughs> Was it copyright protected? He 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 posted it on the on the Facebook, which is another for the people listening that, you know, another really nice part of this group is, is there is a lot of discussion there about specific questions like, like our, our group, but I, yeah, I don't want to break up this particular concept, but, but yeah, the, the, the licensing, it's also, you know, you, you can't make it long-term in this business without doing licensing and, and it's also free money later on. So the job you don't get is made up for by the stove company that calls you later on and goes, Oh, well, you, you know, while you were shooting that kitchen, we're going to throw you another thousand dollars for these really nice photos of the stove to make up for the low years and things like that. And when you have a really good year, you just can't go out and buy a jet ski. So we've all had to sort of, you know, float on our credit cards for the slow times. It's just the reality of working for yourself. Well, also I want to, I, I hate to disagree with Stephen because he's young. He's in better shape than I am. But he's in a yeah, but you're far enough away now, Barry. So. so the thing about licensing and secondary licensing, more to the point, which is the free money, is, is that that's what clients think, is that that's free money, that's extra money. And I've, I always make sure to say to them, no, this is part of my business model. This is part of a lot of photographers' business model. It's not extra. It's certainly not free. We've earned, you know, but it is part of the business model. When I put it in those terms, you know, it's like using the word policy. When you use the terms that clients use, like policy or business model, they get it. It's company policy, and it's not. Uh, it's not a lie. I mean, we may be one person companies or some of us are like myself, you know, um, but that's part of the deal. But to go back to what we were talking about earlier for, for what young people might need to know is, uh, uh, again, the, the other side of the uh, equation of learning the taste, you know, graduating, if that's a word, from real estate um, to a more more formal architecture, it's just a different maybe the same camera, maybe the same software, it's different taste. So it takes longer. And I think when you're starting out, it takes longer to achieve the same quality of work that some of us who've been doing it for a long time uh, know how to do. Because it's not just, I know where to put the camera and I know which lens it is, but it's what can I uh, get away with? That this is a problem on site, can't be solved in a financially reasonable way. So I'm going to trade lighting for post, or I'm going to trade something else for post, uh, or I'm going to make sure that I'm there uh, by sticking around um, 
another hour or two so that I don't have to do the post and I can get the special photo, whatever. So there's versions of that because, I mean, you know, you're not going to shoot more than one job a day most of the time anyway. So it's not like you can run off and shoot something else. So that's very different than real estate where you can shoot three, four houses a day and you're expected to. I mean, how else are you ever going to make any money? So the trick is, as far as the quality of the imagery is, is just practice, practice. And when you're younger, it's more expensive to practice, right? Um, it, it costs more to learn how to do something well. And I think that's very frustrating for a lot of uh, emerging photographers or people that are switching from one kind of career to another. I mean, I'm sure all of us have gotten uh, contacted by people who don't shoot architecture, who are being asked to shoot architecture by a regular client, and they don't know how to do it. So there's some very simple things you can say to them, and they'll be already ahead of the game because they understand process. Because it's taste and process. Those are the really hard things to learn. But but the, the goal is, for me, the goal is always to be able to do a great job and, and, and you know, create quality work. But as I grow in, in, in the art and, and gain more and more experience with different environments and hurdles and everything else that comes up throughout the years to eventually be able to do it easier. You might care more in some instances than your client. I do. I mean, I deliver stuff that the clients, like Norman was saying, or, or whoever was saying, uh, or Brian, good enough. It's like, no, it's not good enough yet. I'm still, I'm still working on this. You got to fix that curtain because I don't want to do that in post because curtains suck. Um, so, you know, I think we care about these things, you know, uh, and, and, um, you know, Norman was saying earlier, he, it, it, the way he talks, it's like what we do, right? It's like, it's company policy. This is our company. It's I'm not taking the picture. We're taking the picture. You know, it's like, it, it, it's our business. Our business will bring you amazing images that are hopefully better than you expected um and we'll worry about the lights and the camera and frankly some of my clients i was just doing the math instagram 1080 by 1080 is a 1.2 megapixel camera and i have clients that are like that's what their final output's going to be is a is a 1080 1080 on instagram that's what they want that's the that's the biggest mover of the image right it's not the rfp it's the, you know, we want it to be on social media and it doesn't need to be big. It just needs to be beautiful. And so, but we care. I think we all care more than, more than we, we, and it's hard to put that quantitatively on your website. I'm the photographer that cares more about your photography than you do. <laughs> I think we can distill this down into, um, into talking about um, the fact that as, as photographers, um, all of this kind of uh, goes into what we are perceived as our brand. And our brand um, as high-end architectural photographers is a combination of that look and what it costs and the service that we provide, the mileage that our clients get out of those images and the way that they're treated and the way that we work on site, all of those are part of a brand. And, and this is something, you know, in, in, in thinking back to the original topic here about what a 20-year-old ought to know and what I wish I'd known when I first, first started was that brand um, 
is going to drive all of those decisions. And if you decide that your brand is high-end architectural photography, then that's going to drive the decisions about how many images I promise to shoot in a day and the quality of those images and what I'm going to charge you for those images, how I'm going to treat you and your employees on site and um, how I'm going to be if you you want to cut your budget to me on or how I'm going to act if you share my images with people that haven't licensed them. All of those are part of brand decisions. And um, there, there's a business acumen that you have to have and that all of you have or you wouldn't be here um, that somebody entering the business just does not have or understand. And we don't teach that. It's, it's not, you know, business department is a separate building from the art department. And um, to me, in order to have any longevity in this field, you've got to be as good a businessman as you are a photographer. Um, you know, and speaking to what Greg was talking about, I, I don't talk about, about pricing necessarily with my clients very much. I give them the fee. That's the fee. Um, it's non-negotiable. Um, if they want to reduce the fee they charge that I'm charging them, then the project has to reduce because we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, make my, my fees fit your budget necessarily. So if, you know, if you have that brand of I'm a real business <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm in this to make money, but I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's my primary goal, but you know, my, my business for me anyway, my primary goal is to do great work. And that's how I choose clients. If I find a client that wants me to come in and meet with them and I can't, I'm not going to be able to do great work for them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to entertain that. It's just not worth it for me because that is contrary to what my brand is. And um, once you make those decisions about what your brand is and, and, and where you are in the market, then all these other decisions seem to be secondary to that. I had a, I had a, a sort of a topic that um, I think might be interesting because we've reached a point on the one hand where technology is taking the pictures for us, but on the other side, what, how would you, how would you learn this? I mean, we're all saying, well, you know, you need to learn style, you know, Barry's right there. You need to learn, you know, the equipment, maybe you can learn basic camera techniques on, on YouTube, but for the most part, it's like, you know, I went to Brooks, but Brooks is gone. You know, you can't really, uh, I don't know how many of you got a degree. I'm, you know, I'm an art school dropout. I went to Brooks for a couple of years, dropped out, opened a studio. What classes would you recommend taking if you wanted to be an architectural photographer at the high end? Does it matter? You know, I think maybe a year of architecture school and a year of art, you know, school and then drop out and, and, and start working. But I mean, it's just not really the way people set up their educational goals. Um, I, I don't know that you can necessarily learn this. I think maybe one of the best ways in is through is through real estate photography, even though it's, you know, spray and pray type of stuff. Um, at least you're interacting with architecture with form and space and trying to figure out how to image that. And, and I know there are some architectural photographers or real estate photographers who don't aspire to be architectural photographers, but uh, a lot of them do. Um, so where do we where do we tell them to go? I mean, where where do you where do you start? Well, the thing about real real estate 
is that it gives you, as Steve was saying, gives you access to the building. So you shoot for yourself. I mean, every job that I go on, I always shoot for some for myself that are not on the brief. Uh, sometimes they license them. Those are the ones they choose. Sometimes they don't. But it, if I, frankly, I'm thinking about my portfolio and I'm thinking about keeping my emotional life on site uh, alive. So I'll shoot stuff for myself to just try and keep my eyes open. And I think in real estate, you can also do that. And when I was shooting real estate, uh, that was one of the ways I built my portfolio. Because the other thing, we haven't talked about this, nobody's going to hire you ever unless you have the work to prove it already in existence on your website and at the very least on Instagram, but preferably on your website also. So you can get that if you make even less money doing real estate by taking a little time and instead of shooting from the corner of the room, shooting from the middle of the room, which the real estate people don't want, um, but it's a photo that'll then you can use on your, uh, it does two things. One, it gets you uh, material for your portfolio. But the other thing is it begins to train your eye and you begin to see how your work is like the work of Ezra Stoller or any of us here or, or somebody that they are, are admiring. And when you're starting out, those are the kinds of things you kind of have to do. I want to say one other thing, too, that also has to do with having a long career that is very similar to what happens in an earlier career. It's not about photography. There was a story in an interview that Jeff Bridges told when he was, he kind of started out very young, 1920, and he wasn't sure if he wanted to be an actor. He, he wanted to be a musician. Does that ring a bell? And people were talking about music here before we actually started recording. A lot of us, I also play. So he was doing a picture um, that was a Eugene O'Neill play. I've forgotten which one it is. And he had a scene with Robert Ryan. Now, Robert Ryan had been a big star since the 1940s. And he was an elder statesman at this point. And they were doing a scene together. And they did a take. And then they, they were going to do another take. And so... You know, on a set, you don't just start again. They have to reset. And he lifted his hands from the table where he's sitting with Jeff Bridges. And there's this like puddle of water there. And Bridges said to him, well, are you nervous? He said, oh, yes, I'm always nervous. And when you talk to, when you hear stories about exceptional artists, um, or even unexceptional artists, just people who are artists, they work hard. It always matters. And so when it matters when you're young and you're trying to figure out how to produce a good photo, forget about the business, just at least do a good photo because you're not going to have a business without it. And I think I still feel that way. I feel I have to do that if I start getting lazy and I just start cranking it out, which I can certainly do um, because I've got all the tools and I can work very quickly. But if I'm not bringing something special, I'm not going to get hired. I, I really believe that. And so that's something when you're starting out that seems like, well, eventually you won't have to worry about how nervous you are. But no, you need to be worried. You need to be nervous. You should be worrying if you're not nervous. You should be worrying if it's too easy. That That's such a crucial point, Barry. Thanks for articulating that so eloquently, because um, it was as I was thinking about this, you know, as you were talking that um Every artist, every successful artist I know is that way. Um, it, it's always, there. there's always that 
expectation and uh, uh, you know a little bit of trepidation about am I going to do my best work on this? Is this going to be good enough? And and uh, you know approaching every job that way. Um, some of you you know have known some of the great photographers um, of our time and uh, past generations and um, have you know. I I have known some of them personally, and there's not any of them that were the you know the really great photographers that we uh, look back on as icons of the industry now that didn't have that same feeling. You know, going into a job that they were nervous and they they were tense. And um, my wife will tell you that I am that way on every job, and uh, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm worried going in. Am I going to be able to pull this out? Because it it's, you know, it's like um, you know to use the musician's analogy, it's like improvising every time you're up there. Um, you know, you it, it's like having a lead sheet, and you know they're pressing record, <laughs> and it's got to be right the first take kind of thing. Um, you, you've got to hit it out of the park every time or you can't stay in this business and do well at it. Um, you know, Stephen, I, as you talked about education and what's the best route to this, I don't know anybody that's done really well in this industry that, um, you know, had a stellar photography education. <laughs> and, and those that have the, you know, the credentials for photography are doing something else now. In the four by five day, I mean, oddly enough, I'm still shooting four by five, but I mean, in the days when that was, that was the standard to get you into a book uh, or, a, or a magazine that no longer exists because most of those magazines are gone. I think the education made a lot more sense, but I think now, it, you know, now it's, by the time you get your education, the technology has changed. So you haven't really learned that. And I'm not sure that the education programs, you know, from an academic standpoint, really taught what what the true, you know, the, the the crux of the of the profession was, which was aesthetics, um, and, and business. To, to yeah. Barry's point, yeah, yeah, you've got to be able to see it. If I was doing it over, I would might consider not getting an education in photography, rather getting a degree in architecture, getting a job at one of the top ten firm like SOM, be an architect for a few years, so I can learn how architects hire photographers and then quit and be a photographer. I feel like. That gives you a ready, ready-made client base. Well, there's a lot of people who've done that. That's not an unusual route. I mean, and when I was starting out in LA, I re quickly realized that my competition, which was never and still is not my competition, is Benny, guy named Benny Chan, who started out as an architectural, uh, as an architect. You know, he was at uh, SciArc or Grant Mudford of another earlier uh, generation. He trained as an architect, and he will tell you. Uh, that part of the reason that he became an architectural photographer is that one of, I think one of his advisors said, you're better at that. You should do that. So, uh, and it worked out okay for him. I think it's important too that that all of us here that that have, have the long careers, even among each other, when someone asks you how you did something, tell them. I mean, you know, just tell them, help, help the young guy out. Um, I, I think that that's the best education. Uh, you know, I I learned so much from Alan 25 years ago. You know, I it, that's what that's what got me started in architecture was Alan. So I mean, it, it's you know being able to help, being able to share ideas that you know you got to pass that on.
you know, I kind of want to circle back and, and and maybe maybe draw a conclusion about about the education side of it, and and that would be to for people you know to rec to recommend and, my, and the advice to the younger photographers is to, is to immerse yourself in the work of great photographers, um, whether it's architecture or not. You know, becoming literate in in the language of images and understanding what it is that makes a great image you know i used to i i dropped out of uh, as a photography major and ended up finishing you know a degree in a completely different area because uh, photography just was not clicking for me uh in an academic standpoint but i spent hours and hours in the art section of the library just looking at photography and that was the most valuable education for me was you know looking at Stoller and um, other other photographers like that, uh, you know the Hedrick Blessing photographers, and uh, you know Richard Neutra's portfolio of images and and a lot of which Schumann shot and, and things like that, and then also you know looking at some of the more creative and avant-garde uh, photographers as well, the fine art photographers, and it all informs. And what I do when I get on site, because I get on site and I see shapes and forms and and contrast, and it reminds me somewhere in the depths of my gray matter of something I've seen before, and it helps me make sense of it in a way that I can put together an image that hopefully is better than what somebody who hasn't gone through that experience would have. And look at renderings too. I, I've found a lot of value in looking at an architect's rendering, their BIM model, or their rendering of what their project's going to look like when it's finished. It's completely unrealistic. The lighting is all off. It may face north, but they got it looking like it's completely lit up. But you get an idea of what the architect's vision is for their building to look like. And then you can look at that rendering and say, this is, look at the lighting here, look at the landscaping and how you know, whatever, but the, there's, I look at renderings all the time. I'll look at other art. I'll look at Joel Grimes who does portraits and I'll figure out his lighting. Cause he's a, just a master of lighting and I'll apply Joel Grimes portrait lighting to an interior architectural photograph. I mean, there's, you can always apply stuff, even though we're in a very unique specific vertical, it's it's awesome to take what everyone else has become a master at and try to apply that to what you do, and and it never ends. Thanks, Greg. That's that's hugely important. Norman, thank you for joining us. Um, thanks to all of you. We're going to wrap this up, and um, I really appreciate every everyone's responses today. This has been really valuable. I hope that it's valuable to the twenty somethings that watch this in a couple of weeks when it hits. He hits the podcast airwaves and and on YouTube. Um, I, I think we'll probably have a lot of uh, feedback from this and and that may inform you know some program down the road. But thanks to all of you. Um, I hope you're starting out with a good year and I hope that uh, 2024 is a great year for you and that we can all retire at the end. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> take care. Good job. Happy New Year, Larry. Take it now. Goodbye. Take care. This has been another episode of A Photographer's Life. If you've enjoyed this program, please let us know by liking this episode and subscribing to this channel. A Photographer's Life is brought to you by the Association of Independent Architectural Photographers. 
This episode is copyrighted, and may not be used in full or in part, without the written permission of the AIAP. Please join us again soon for another inside look at the world of professional architectural photography.